So, welcome. This is uh, the last uh, instruction. And the last instruction. So, so we had, had uh, three previous fields. So we had the body, you know, you could say materiality. Then you had the tonality, the feelings. Then you had mind. And then now you get Dhamma. So today is Dhamma, D-H-A-M-M-A. -M -M and actually, Dharma can mean many different things. And since Bernard is our scholar in residence, maybe he'll explain that more later. But in general, it can be in a way translated as Buddha Dhamma, which means the teaching of the Buddha. Or Dharma means things. And then in that category, in that field, in terms of the four bases, the four pillars of mindfulness, that last one is very Buddhist. Lots of lists. <laughs> so you have the five of these, the seven of that, the six of these, the four of that. And over time, then seems to have added thing in the category. So, in 30 minutes, I cannot go over all the categories, but I choose two categories, which seems to me is are relevant to us being on retreat, and also relevant to daily life. And then, don't try to memorize them unless you have a very immediate good memory. I put them on the board. So on the board you can come back to them. So you have the five hindrances. And so those who have never been on a retreat might be unfamiliar with them. But if you have been on many retreats, generally that's why that's what is talked about on the first instruction. The hindrances. Personally, I think it's better to talk about it at the end. So the five hindrances, sensory desire, uh, Bernat has already talked a bit about it, ill will, sloth and torpor, we talked a little about it yesterday, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And in a way, I think in terms of being mindful of the five hindrances, I think it's kind of recognizing them, not as, oh, this is sloth and torpor, and that is restlessness, but more to recognize, oh, this is what's going on. And then what you can recognize is, oh, the tonality is a little unpleasant. And then you can recognize, hmm, what is a mind doing with this? So in a way, in recognizing this kind of like more difficult states, then we can accept them. Oh, that's what's going on right now. And at some point, it will pass. Or we can transform them. And I think when we do meditation, 
here or in daily life, in a way there is a question. Do I just accept it and through the acceptance of it, seeing it really, knowing it really clearly, then my relationship to it changes? Or actually do I need to do something to transform it? Because it might become too intense, too overwhelming. And I think that's what we develop over time, what I would call the wisdom to accept or the wisdom to transform. And in terms of transformation, there is a wonderful sutta called the Vitaka Santana Sutta, which is on the form of thought. And basically in it, the Buddha gives five methods to deal with difficult states. And I think these methods can also, I would say, be applied in some part to these difficulties, these hindrances. So I will go kind of short a little bit on each. So basically the Buddha is saying, you are sitting in meditation, but I think it can be also applied to daily life. And you have a very difficult state. And here he said mental state, but I think it can be an emotional state. It can be many different things. And he said the first method is if we have a really difficult, unpleasant state, can you bring in a little pleasant something? Can you bring in a little skillful something? And the simile, the example is give, is that if you have kind of like in a hole, you have kind of a piece of wood which is stuck, and then you would take a little piece of wood, and then with a hammer, with this little piece of wood, you would be able to take the big piece. And so in a way here, you could think about, you're suddenly thinking about this person, and they're terrible, and then suddenly, when you go into, they're always terrible, etc. But, ah, they've done something, they've been helpful two months ago, or they've been kind two weeks ago. So they're not always like this. So you can uh, bring some loving kindness, or you could bring some appreciation, or you could bring some compassion. So now bringing one of the qualities to help transform the state. Then the next method is if the kind of difficult state continues, can you see the danger of it? And in a way, again, it's through the mindfulness we start to recognize, oh, I have been triggered. I'm going to go down this loop which could take me to a very dark place. I used to go very much into these self-pity loops. Poor me, poor me, etc., etc. And then I started to be more at the contact place. Oh yeah, when I hear this, when I am in this situation, if I think this, then this is it. I go into the loop. And so when the situation occurred or the contact, 
I would see the first thought, and then I would do something else. And I would do something else. So in a way, using the first one, because I saw the danger of that thought. If I followed it, you're going to go in a very dark place, which then will take much longer, in a way, to get out of. And then the third one is very interesting because it could seem to go against everything you've heard, which generally you're told with mindfulness, anything that happens, stay there. You stay with it, or you go deeper into it. Though we have kind of pointed out that maybe it's not the best idea all the time. And in his text, actually, the Buddha said the third method, look away from it. If something is really difficult, really intense, don't go there. Don't go there. Turn away from it. You don't just have to stick to it. Because actually, if you stick to it, you're going to be overwhelmed. And so the Buddha said, turn away from it. And suddenly, the image to me came. I don't know if you like to go and watch horror movie. But personally, I don't. But one day with Stephen, we thought there was a Korean movie. And so we said, oh, let's go and see this Korean movie. We thought it was going to be poetic and so on and so forth. <laughs> and then once we got there, we realized after about 20 minutes that it was a Korean horror movie. <laughs> And we spent a lot of time looking away from it. <laughs> the gore was fairly... <laughs> and I think this is that. In a way, do I want to inflict this on myself now? Maybe not. Turn away from it. And then again, you can use the first one. Do something different. It doesn't mean that later on, you cannot come back to it. But you back come back to it when it's less intense, when you might have more calm, or when the situation might be less stressful. So it, it's not saying don't address it. He said, right now, maybe don't. Turn away from it, and then later, maybe you can. Then the fourth one is actually, you could say, a little associated with mindfulness of mind. Because the fourth one is questioning the thought itself. And it's kind of like asking, why are you thinking this? What's the point of thinking this? Could you think something else? And the simile is interesting. He says it's like if you do Walking meditation. So you do walking meditation, you think, hmm, why am I doing walking meditation? Could I be doing something else? Oh yeah, I could be doing standing meditation. You do standing meditation, you think, hmm, why am I doing standing meditation? Maybe I could do sitting meditation. You do sitting meditation, you question it, and you think, hmm, maybe I could do lying down meditation. And then he says, you go from the one which requires the most energy to the one which requires the least energy. 
interesting. And so what he's suggesting is that in a way questioning the thought itself, is it true? Could I think about something else? Could I do something else which could be a little easier than giving myself a hard time right now? And the last one, if you are a psychologist, don't listen. <laughs> the last one, and I love the image, the last one, just refrain. Just don't go along with it. And the image is of a big person holding a little person with kind of like moving their legs, but they can't move because the bigger person can hold them. And so this could look like an image of repression, but actually for me, it's an image of power. The fact that we are more powerful than any one thought. Is one thought more powerful than us? I mean, it could be if we give it that power. But I would say, as this complex organism, we have more power than anyone thought. And so sometimes we need to refrain. Because if you think, well, I need money, I'm going to rob the bank, possibly not a good idea, you know. Or I'm going to get them, possibly not a good idea. So in a way, it's kind of actually looking if the thought is unskillful, again, ethical, it's going to cause harm. I need to restrain it. Doesn't mean that later I cannot address it and try to see how I can deal with it. But on the moment, not going there, because it will be harmful to yourself and to others. So this what I kind of I wanted to share with you as kind of like what uh, some of the idea the Buddha suggested in terms of the hindrances. And then you have the seven factors of awakening. And so in a way, in terms of awakening, to see that these factors are tools and resources. And that actually one of the ideas is that the different factors can help us in different ways in the practice, I also in practicing in daily life. And so actually to think of them, because often we think, oh, I need to do this, I need to be mindful, that's it. But if you look at the list, mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, collectedness, equanimity. So here what we're seeing is like, again, a complex picture. That yes, it's a good idea to be mindful. It can be helpful, but not on its own. At times, we need to investigate. So mindful is not just being aware, that's a good idea. But there is another quality we have, another capacity, which is to explore, to inquire, to investigate. 
And then that idea of investigating change, investigating pain, investigating conditionality. So really exploring in the experience what is going on. So actually we have to be careful to think that we want to have no thought. Actually, no. We're trying to dissolve more like the unskillful thought, which can cause harm, but we want to develop skillful thinking, investigation, exploration, reflection, contemplation. Then you have energy. And this is really an important quality that we need to look at in terms of, you might have noticed the energy you have in any given day. Sometimes you are full of energy for the sitting, the walking, and you feel really bright. And then at some point, often the energy is kind of like, whew, like suddenly you use the energy. And then you need to practice with a little less energy. And so maybe then you might want to do something more calming, in a way, less complicated, easier. So, so how do we use our energy when we practice? But this term is also about, in a way, courage. And to me, this is kind of an important quality of we sit in meditation, and I think when we sit in meditation, we're actually cultivating the courage to sit there the courage to be mindful, the courage to go a little beyond our limits, the courage to see what is going on. So that's, again, something important to recognize. But also this quality, to me, as an important aspect of enthusiasm. And there is this wonderful image in a text which say we should come to the practice like an elephant when it's really, really, really hot. And the elephant is so hot. And then the elephant sees a pool of water and then runs to the pool of water, jumps in and enjoys so much the coolness of the water. So anyway, thinking about that image, when we come to the sitting, to the walking, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of, oh yeah, let's do this. Let's use this opportunity. This is very much about opportunity. And then another quality is joy, the quality of joy. And to me, this is so important because often we associate, I don't know why, meditation a little bit with gloominess. We need to be a little gloomy, you know? A little serious. This is a serious matter. We might not necessarily need to take ourselves so seriously all the time with it. And so personally, I, I see the practice as actually light, lighting us up, 
Sometimes we feel so weighty, so heavy. And yes, some things are very serious and they are suffering, but at the same time, I think it's important that the practice helps us also to have some lightness, to have some joy. And then you have tranquility, pasadi. And actually is to see, because often we see tranquility as a result of the practice. And of course, as we practice meditation, generally we get to feel, to experience more tranquility. But personally, I see this also tranquility as something, as a resource, as a tool. We cannot make ourselves calm, but we can remember that we can become. That there is, we, we, we have that capacity to become. And I remember a few years back, I had not been able to go into town and I really need to go and I had all these things to get, so finally I go to town and then, you know, I hit the shop. And the first shop I go into is an Apple store. I need a cable. And if you know Apple store, getting a cable is not a quick affair. So I go in there, see the cable, and then realize this is going to take so long, no way. So I kind of, kind of go in, go out. And then as I go out, suddenly I stop. And I think, if they knew I was a meditation teacher, they would not believe it in that show. <laughs> because I did not exhibit any quality attributed <laughs> to such a person. And then I could really feel the whole body and mind that kind of, you know, quick, 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 fast, 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 let's get this. And then you don't need to do this. And then I went to tranquility, just that quality of tranquility. And then immediately the whole body mind just, ah, yes we can access tranquility. So it's, it's in a way kind of recognizing that we have this capacity, we cultivate it here, and we can in a way access it. It's a tool. Ah, tranquility, calm. Then you have collectedness, samadhi. So samadhi is about the fact that it's kind of, in a way, you could say it's the counter, the antidote to restlessness and worry, to agitation. How does it feel when we agitate it? It's like, it's, it looks like we can't be together. It's kind of, ah, there is this to do and that to do, ah, and that and this and that, and we cannot, and we cannot seem to put it together. And we feel like, and so in a way, collectedness is about 
can I bring myself back together? So again, tranquility can help here. But it's not just to be calm, but it's kind of, can I be with a complexity in a way when I'm not, kind of in a way, all over the place? But there is some kind of like unification. We kind of like some space in which things can be there without that stress. And so kind of a, can I bring this collectedness, this kind of like unification? I am not all these separate things not coming together, but all these separate things can be together. So kind of that quality of, you could nearly say a flow of this organism with everything around, that we can be collected in this diverse way. And then the last one is equanimity. And this is, again, all of the factors of awakening, mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, collectedness, you could play with them. Not all of them at the same time, <laughs> but just kind of, can I feel this quality of tranquility? Ah, can I feel this quality of joy? So you can focus on one during the walking and another during the sitting. But the one I want to focus a little bit as a theme today is equanimity. And Bernard already has talked a little about it. But looking at equanimity, because often it seems that equanimity, the image I have for what people think it is, is like at some point, I will practice so hard, so well, I will get on my little cloud of equanimity. And so I'll be, my little boat, cloud of equanimity, I will be floating over everybody else down there. Too bad you're not getting it together. Never mind. I am okay here. I'm equanimous. Nothing can touch me. Nothing. I don't think that's the idea. The idea, to me this is a beautiful idea, the idea of equanimity, can I creatively treat everything equally? I mean, this is a challenge, because we're so partial. I mean, this is our nature, one could nearly say, to prefer this to that. There is this very famous uh, Zen saying, the way is not to pick and choose. But this is so hard. I mean, you can see at lunch, I mean, you pick and choose. I mean, especially when they give you the two different dressing. <laughs> Which one I pick? So here, just as an experiment, this is really an experiment, and this comes with creative, wise compassion, 
can I treat myself? Can I treat other? Can I treat things equally? To me, this is an amazing quality as a starting point. And then according to wisdom, we might have to spend more time with this person than this one, more time on this subject than that one. But can we start, the starting point is, can I treat equally? And what does that mean? So that's what I would kind of in a way suggest as a practice today. But also, in equanimity, there is very much an idea of stability, groundedness. And again, back to the mindfulness of the body. Can I use the body to ground, to stabilize? But can also I find some stability in the mind, some stability in the heart? And also another one, balance. How can I experience balance? How do I connect to balance? And what does it mean, balance? Balance doesn't mean you are in the middle all the way. To me, that's not what balance means. To me, balance is the fact that you can go this side and you don't stay there. Oh, you come back in the middle. You might go that side. Oh, you come back in the middle. So in a way, balance is a fact that we're not going to be stuck. We're not going to be overwhelmed, but we can experience something and then be back in the middle. We can experience possibly an hindrance and then we come back in the middle. And so noticing that quality that we can experience through the day, that we might be troubled this way, troubled that way, but we can come back in the middle. So in a way, we're not stuck. And I think also that's part of equanimity, noticing how we can be balanced. Again, balance in the mind, in the heart, in the body. Again, the same as when we sit in meditation, we find a posture which is balanced for us. Might not be the posture of someone else, but from us, we feel we sit and we feel that balance and that stability. So that's what I wanted to suggest today. Thank you. So we can just stand and stretch a little. So I will do the guidance this afternoon. And this morning for this sitting, I'd like in a way, because some of you might be familiar with the material and in a way can easily kind of access it as you sit here. And for the other who are not so familiar with this material, just kind of let some of this word resonate. Like if suddenly joy or treating equally or tranquility, that's really, oh, yeah. Can I explore this? So kind of just letting this land during the sitting and just connecting.
to whatever makes sense. And also the fact that by doing the breath, the body, the listening, or the loving kindness, or the joy, you are connecting to one of this quality anyway, to one of the factors anyway. So we can in a way cultivate intentionally or by cultivating the mindfulness, the anchoring, we can experience some of these factors. So just letting it land and be with it.
So during the walking meditation, again, exploring the various factors, or as an experiment, you could try, how would it be to treat everything equally? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.